A time for balancing your books and having every item in them through a round dozen of months presented dead against you. These are some of the questions we ask every day when we read a paper. Tiny Tim deprived DLA by contemptuous Atos Workhouse. Watch TV. Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Or just read too much Dickens in too short amount of time. To see the dingy cloud come drooping by, obscuring everything, one might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale. This is What the Fuck is Xmas. I'm going to undickens Rick and then we'll get on with our Christmassy satire show full of spite and malice. It's the final of the Great British Celebrity Christmas Bake Off. Yes, our intrepid D-listers have packed the pies, fondled the figs, and fingered the fairy. <laughs> For the celebrities' final challenge, they have had 72 hours to prepare the perfect Christmas pudding. First up to put forward their pudding is star of TV and tabloids, Michael Barrymore. Looks delightful, but it's lacking a little on booze. Pass me my emergency gin. Steady on, Mary. Have you had your tablets? So, there's only one sure way to test a Christmas pudding out. And that's... Put your dick in it. More booze. More booze. More booze. Okay, I'm just going to slowly pop my dick in the top there. Oh, it's... uh, Still quite hot. How long has it uh, been out of the uh, the oven? Oh, oh, oh! I think I've lost all feeling. And no Christmas pudding is complete without lighting it. Wait, Mary, no! Right, welcome to This Week I Watched, uh, the section of the show where Stuart and I both watch a piece of media not really aimed at us and try and decipher a meaning or a motivation behind it. And since it's nearly Christmas, we thought we'd bring you our thoughts on the very best bit of Christmas content we've found so far in the schedules, one of the only bits. 
Yeah, this is actually the inaugural Christmas show. Yeah, first time we've reached what we set out to do, but um, we have in found the last one. week of it. Yeah, <laughs> finally one we can actually talk about that's been aired. Yeah, um, and it was Greg Wallace's Christmas Supermarket Secrets on BBC One. So, what was the premise of this? Well, the premise was actually kind of disappointing. It's basically a look at shops that sell food and gifts and household items, not just at any time of year, but this time of year. Yeah. December. It disappointed me because that title, Greg Wallace's Supermarket Secrets, reminded me of the classic cheesy game show, Dale Winton's Supermarket Sweep. I love that. Which I love, where contestants would compete to collect the highest value of shopping. Supermarket Secrets, to me, would be a sort of live-action version of Cluedo, where someone's been murdered in a supermarket, and the team, along with host Greg Wallace, have to follow a series of clues and puzzle yeah. puzzles and unravel <laughs> the identity of the killer, who's one of the staff. <coughs> kind of like a morbid crystal maze, but with a super supermarket theme i recommend they switch to that format for series two it'd be much more entertaining i like that yeah that will definitely be a better tv watch make me edit make me commissioner of the bbc it's basically just a lord of greg wallace isn't it and um, you know the guy who's famous for buttery biscuit base and i think he does master chef <laughs> as well you does know he the do one, master chef the chubby one. Wh- which one is to. it I-, I don't know the buttery biscuit base thing seems more likely yeah um well it's that guy and they just follow him around and he translates quantities for us. Um, so examples of this were, our factory is half a mile long. Uh, he then said 80,000 tonnes of salmon. Whoa, that's a lot of salmon. And 8 billion pounds. Whoa, that's a lot of money. Thing in a room. Whoa, that's a thing in a room. His exclamations were crazy. The obvious. Whoa, that's the obvious. So basically, if you're not a fan of numbers or maths... Which I know a lot of our listeners are. Yeah, but if you're not, Greg's here to help you understand. So, okay, so pi is also a number and a thing they sell you in a shop. Yeah, but you don't need to worry about the number. Greg Wallace, he's basically basically in this, he plays the dad of an annoyed teenager who's been pressured into getting a shitty retail job going, <laughs> Dad, I hate this job. Why do I have to do it? Can't you and Mum just pay for me? Nonsense, son. Shop work is interesting. And he's tried to encourage him and go, you know, you're like the international rescue for the food chain, which is subtext for, I'm trying to make you have a work ethic and ability to put up with how boring and shit the working world is when you grow up. <laughs> but they've made a TV show about it. Why? Did it feel semi-autobiographical for you then? Did it remind you of scenes with your dad? Well, it did. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much all I need to say on that. But yeah, he says... Supermarkets control our lives. Yeah, and just, just passively said that. That was really scary. <laughs> yeah. When really, if you look at that, that's actually something that I, I would, I would make, I would make a future, futuristic um, film in which Greg Wallace is a dictator that goes, supermarkets control our lives. That's the next Sainsbury's Christmas advert. <laughs> and their secrets have been hidden until now, to which millions of people, myself included, that work in supermarkets would say, no, their secrets haven't been hidden. If anyone gave an ounce of a shit, they could have just asked me. And <laughs> to be fair, I would have sworn at them for about 80 minutes. Aww. And he asks, how do they make sure that we don't show up with empty shelves? To which everyone says, put food on them. <laughs> and this show basically answers, they put food on them. But with the 2001 A Space Odyssey music playing in the background to make it seem epic and exciting. And they did go into quite a lot of detail a lot of detail scary amount of detail the most interesting one i thought was smoked salmon but that was you know basically oh that's a lot of fish um sprouts were greg wallace (laughs) in completely patronizing (laughs) fashion just went to two guys 
God, this is really hard work after doing it for about three seconds. <laughs> and they went, God, it's like proper manual labour. That's exactly what it is, Greg. Yeah, and lots of people do it every day, all day. A lot of people watching this show, actually. Um, like, uh, uh, unbelievably, though, the best thing I got to, though, three minutes on where trolleys are made. I was <laughs> cracking up when they got to that bit. We're not joking, right? This isn't one of our seven o'clock show sketches, though it felt like one. <laughs> um, they're actually so kind of desperate for content, they flew a camera team to Germany to see shopping trolleys being made in a factory for about three minutes. And they had the owner talk about, oh, that's a little one, pointing at a blue one. <laughs> you know, who The BBC spent your money to do that. Um, and then they went back to the distribution centre, didn't they? Yeah. Then there's the other bits where it's a guy picking sprouts. You know, and you're like, come on, seriously, everybody knows. Seen one veg girl, seen them all girl, really, haven't you? Did you or, know that lots of people at Christmas don't like sprouts? Here is a sequence of me going up to people with a bowl of sprouts saying, would you like to eat them? Do you not like them? Yeah. And people <laughs> going, nah, don't like them, really. <laughs> Whoa, that's a lot of sprouts. Wow, this is a new piece of information in my brain. <laughs> uh, there was a hilarious bit, though, when he followed that um, PR woman around the development of the new chocolate cake. Um, he kind of went through every single bit, the concept of it, the construction, the testing process, uh, and then he tried some. And this PR woman said, there you go, would you buy it? And Greg Wallace, who is off MasterChef, let's face it, he just couldn't lie and just went, nah, I can bake. <laughs> it didn't really sit with the rest of the kind of chummy corn wow bits for the rest of the show but that, that I thought it was genuinely a, hysterical that just astounded me though because <clears throat> nah I can bake why are you in this segment then if you are openly admitting you have absolutely no interest in a piece of your television show why are you making it <laughs> maybe he just did it maybe it was just a setup. like I'm going to go in there and tell them how shit their cakes are <laughs> yeah but I suppose it is it does have some sort of a point because maybe it's a tutorial video for anyone who's going to end up working in a shop for the rest of their lives, which will be a lot of us if the Tories have any say in it. I don't think the bits of salmon farming all right. Uh, the scale of the warehouses genuinely impressive. But to, to, an hour? An yeah, hour of an this? An hour of television on this. Well, I, I just think it's really discouraging to the rest of TV content because there seems to have been a boom in interest in consumer culture recently for some reason that I really wish TV would stop doing. It's the whole people give money to shops in exchange for gifts. There's a lot of it about. Yeah, like that's a seriously an important thing to cover on TV and why are people interested in this? It's basically just corporations paying to have people shove products down your face. Please stop encouraging corporations to think they can squeeze more money out of your people and just venerating it. If shit like this continues, all future television shows are just being re replaced with rotating products set to classical music <laughs> called stuff like Stare at this amazing product for 60 minutes on ITV or Product you can buy for 60 minutes on Channel 4. Is the Christmas Day schedule finished? Nah, we still got the bland show about random stuff at 7 o'clock to fill. So it's in the evening. After Christmas dinner, presents were open, family row just before Doctor Who. They're not even going to remember it anyway. Mm, this is tricky. Hmm. How about we make some sort of contemplative, make people really reflect on what's just happened that day and think about their lives and what Christmas really means? 
Careful, Rick. You're getting dangerously close to effort there. Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, what was I thinking? Um, I'm just going to go on Facebook for an hour to counterbalance it. Hello, I'm first name, last name, and this is the 7 o'clock something show and a Merry Christmas. And what we're asking this week is, what if I was saying Merry Christmas tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that, basically every day? Would it really be good if it was Christmas every day? Now this is a dead body. When he was alive, he was called Norman, and he enjoyed over 76 Christmases. He was 77. But if every one of those days he lived had been Christmas, he would have enjoyed over 28,000 of them. Wow! That would have been so interesting. It stinks a bit. So, Professor Historyman of the London University of Stuff in Books, you say there actually was a society that experimented with holding Christmas every day of the year? Yes, uh, an island off the coast of Scotland, uh, Slayball, actually decided one year to make it law to hold Christmas every day uh, just to see what would happen. Wow, and, and so what did happen? They went bankrupt and starved to death in two months. Wow, how fascinating. I'm going to have to remove some old memories inside my head to make room for this new information. Now I'm here in a laboratory. It's like I can teleport or something. And I'm here with Mr Kemp, Sciency Presenter. So, Mr Kemp, Sciency Presenter, who's on this show every few weeks, you're doing an experiment to see if people would get bored... If it was Christmas, every day. Yes, you see, we've attached corporeal electrodes to a patient's brain to measure the immeasurable boredom levels when we jingle some sleigh bells and Christmas balls in his face while we say things. Please stop doing that. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Wow, so what you're saying is that when you attach electrodes to someone's brain... You can measure how many somethings happen inside a person's head. Yes, that's exactly correct. We can measure the numbers of things of any things, and then we can make it into a graph. I love graphs. Wow! So, Merry Christmas, viewers. Enjoy it while it lasts, because remember, we'll all end up dead bodies someday. Now here's Queen Elizabeth II reciting words written on a teleprompter that you're not going to remember in two weeks, let alone a year from now. Bye! Anyway, since there hasn't been much else worth mentioning yet, uh, we thought you'd bring you our Christmas TV guide. Forget about the Radio Times. It's old school. You're looking for the what-the-fuck version. Uh, this is going to be a rundown of all the Christmas content this week that you really don't want to see, so now you'll know when to change the channel over and find something else. 
On Monday the 23rd on BBC at 9 is the John Bishop Christmas Show where John Bishop and his guests Jason Mansford, David O'Doherty and other person thingy off that show and token alternative act sit around a studio and say stuff. Either watch it or throw money into a fire. Whatever floats your boat really. <laughs> Not a John Bishop fan. Uh, on BBC 2 at 8pm catch uh, one of 10 editions of Christmas University Challenge broadcast every day um, where people from some university answer clever questions on clever Christmas related topics that make them feel smug and you feel unintelligent and like you aren't trying hard enough at winning Christmas this year Meanwhile, on ITV, they have Gary Barlow, Journey to Afghanistan. I was so excited when you read this title out to me. <laughs> Gary Barlow, Afghanistan, in which you'd think Gary Barlow visits a village or a town of people whose lives have been destroyed by Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan and the American intervention. Actually, he visits a military base and tries to get soldiers to perform in a musical. <laughs> This is ITV. Anyone with a single degree of tact and sensitivity on a touchy subject will be fired. <laughs> Less effort. <laughs> See, I want I thought he was going to do a Ross Kemp. I think we should get Ross Kemp to go to London's West End and perform a musical now. All right, well, that should be a laugh. Nice one, Gary. Uh, while Channel 4 have got Nigella Bites Christmas Special, in which Nigella Lawson lights up the stove on which she cooks a series of festive recipes to make the festive season worry-free. None of which will be half as effective as what she's got at the bottom of her handbag. And Channel 5, you know, the fifth one, the um, fifth channel. Yeah. Channel, channel number five. Yeah, number five, yeah. Have most shocking celebrity moments of 2013, which is basically YouTube clips cut and pasted with news coverage of some <laughs> celebrities almost showing a nipple or smoking a joint or something. A lot of celebrity smoking joints this year. Effort! <laughs> um, on Christmas Eve, BBC One have Holby City and Last Tango in Halifax. Wow. Really pushing the boat out there. Ideas. <laughs> BBC Two, meanwhile, have carols from Kings. Oh, I do like a carol pun at Christmas. <laughs> in which some choirs and other religious people sing carols at King's College for you to have on in the background. It's basically a televisual screensaver, really. Nothing interesting. Like that channel they used to do with a fire on it where you could just have the image of a roaring fire. Because that's you. what TV's for, you know. <laughs> More passive. Um, while over on ITV, we have new You've Been Framed. You've been waiting for it, guys. Get your series link buttons out. Uh, at Christmas, indeed. Channel 4 have gone the exploitative route with big fat gypsy weddings, carols and caravans, in which the big fat gypsies get married some more. But this time it's Christmas, so that justifies another hour of it. Uh, yeah, expect big dresses, tits and misogyny. At Christmas. Uh, and Channel 5 have greatest ever Christmas movies, reminding you that, yes, It's a Wonderful Life is still a good movie. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Uh, Gremlins, still a good movie. Go watch it. If you don't think a Muppet Christmas Carol is still a good film, Channel 5 are here to make you think that now in three hours of your life. You could be spending doing anything else. Like watching those movies. Yeah. Uh, Christmas Day then The big one During that family row That you have every year About eight-ish We have Doctor Who On BBC One In which people say Really overdramatic lines Designed to look cool In the trailer Like All these years I've been running From facing my Things and moments Or <laughs> That name has been Calling out through My running and whispers Of the moment And the gateway And the silence falling Dun 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 And some Daleks And Cybermen Shoot each other And that's the end But they have little Woolly bobble hats on Which makes it a Christmas special I know you're a massive Doctor who fans do it? <laughs> Are you trying to kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, meanwhile, BBC Two have nothing. Well, they're calling it Matthew Bourne's Sleeping Beauty, which is a ballet adaptation of Sleeping Beauty, but yeah, nothing. Meanwhile, on ITV, we have Downton Abbey in a special which notes that it's not set at Christmas, which is cheating. That's just a programme, isn't it, then? <laughs> it's just a programme that happens to be on on December the 25th. Uh, Channel 4, nothing Christmassy whatsoever. Uh, repeats of a Muppet Christmas Carol and Home Alone 2. So, yeah, they've spent the budget wisely, I think. Less effort. <laughs> Channel 5, on the other hand, have a repeat of that list show from yesterday and a show called Britain's Craziest Christmas Lights, which shows a bunch of idiots blowing their kids' uni funds on turning their houses <laughs> into a nuclear waste dump. Reprehensible, but points for actually putting in effort there. Well done, Channel number 5. Um, on Boxing Day, then, why not relax by watching? watching BBC One with Len Goodman's Perfect Christmas. Uh, apparently, one of the judges of Strictly is so full of insightful and interesting things, he's hosting a 40-minute special in which he and a bunch of nameless celebrities are, like, in a room together, you know? Yeah, it's, seriously, I've got no idea what this could be. The review says nothing, the summary says nothing. It could easily be a show about what's inside black holes or mm. quantum physics or any other interesting subject. I don't know. I'm probably not going to watch it, but it could be interesting. I, do you think Len Goodman's Perfect Christmas is perhaps just him recalling collections about how much better his Christmas day was than yours? Probably. That'd be a nice Boxing Day fodder with a hangover, wouldn't it? Uh, meanwhile, on BBC Two, the alternative is Ben Fogel and James Cracknell go to an Arabian desert to drink heavily and annoy some camels because, you know, Christmas. Yeah, because Christmas. Um, and ITV are randomly asking what is Britain's favourite Elvis song because you know it's been 60 years since Elvis had his 20 something birthday it, it, no whatever. idea why while Channel 4 have Big Fat Quiz of the Year in which several celebrities that have been popular this year and some comedians sit around a studio and talk words out of their mouths and inevitably get too drunk and get in the Daily Mail the next day with a slur on a roll. yeah prediction um, Big Fat Quiz of the Year foul mouthed Shock horror thing. Yeah, that's coming. Um, and Channel 5 have Michael Bublé's Christmas special, where, okay, he's like a singer. You know him, M Michael Bublé. Yeah. That's he, how you pronounce it, he's, right? He's, he's from a few years ago. Uh, he's on a show with Mariah Curry. You know her? That woman who did, did, what song did she do? One of them. Yeah. And he's also got the Cookie Monster. Um, it could easily have been called Michael Bublé's Yesterday's News Show. <laughs> so that's TV Christmas Guide. Uh, enjoy or actually spend your time with people you love. We could have called the show What Not to Watch. Now, this week, in a what-the-fuck first, we actually left the studio and did something else. This was a dangerous project. Um, we went to the British Comedy Awards last week, didn't we? Yeah. It was pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah and you fed me after midnight. We didn't, you we shouldn't didn't, do that. We didn't get nominated, sadly. Um, we did try and pick a trophy up, but they weren't really having it. Um, but, you know, hey, next year we might be back there. Yeah. Or not. Um, you, Less effort. You, <laughs> you didn't really enjoy it there, did you? No, I'm not meant to go out of out of the walls of this studio. You did get to meet a comedy legend, though. We've asked loads of comedy legends what they hate about Christmas, and you got to meet one of your favourites, Jack Whitehall. <laughs> sort of. I introduced myself as being from CBeebies, though. Uh, Stuart Hardy, CBeebies. Uh, what's your favourite thing about Christmas? Um... The terrible jokes and the Christmas crackers. And your least favourite thing? Uh, the fact that every time you do a terrible Christmas cracker joke, Lee Mack earns money because he writes them all. 
I hate Christmas, full stop. Uh, my, I have got Christmas lights, lit seriously, and they flash on, bar humbug. I had them made up specially. <laughs> Somebody will market that and make a million out of my idea. Thank you, goodbye. Terrific. thanks a lot, Paul. Cooking. Really? Can't stand cooking, so I'm not going to be doing any. I'm hoping my 18-year-old son will be cooking this Christmas because he's a much, much better cook than I am. Tears. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever experienced a Christmas without tears, one form or another. Nothing. Love Christmas. It's the one bit that it's the one bit where Johnny Vegas falls into a coma. It's like that lovely advert with the bear and the rabbit, but when the rabbit turns up, you know, with the alarm clock, the bird eats the rabbit. But in in reality, no, I do. I I decorate the house despite my OCD. I measure everything and put it up. It takes a lot longer. The other day, me, 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 I let my child decorate a tree and I had to go in the other room and physically stop myself from thumping the wall. The way he put things up, it was so mad dash. Two ornaments right next to each other, looking like the backside of a camel. But I've left the tree as it is because Christmas is about kids. It's not about me sorting my own shit out. Christmas? Oh, I love Christmas, so I haven't got one. I, um, I, the sadness when it's over for me. Yes, I agree with I that. I do, I really like it. Uh, least favourite thing. Um, no, I've got to agree. It's, you know, we're not Scrooges. We're all Tiny Tims. We love it. Fantastic, thanks. Everybody else has been really negative. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, good for us, then, for saying the opposite. Genuinely, I don't. And people have a downer on Christmas, don't they? I not. don't understand it. I don't get it. Why is it? Why is it that people feel lonely? Why is it? I don't know. They're miserable. Nihilistic. Yeah. yeah. Black. Yeah. I um, genuinely like it. Full trance music for the tenth time. It's the 10th edition of Bullsheet Headlines. The standard, capital of hair care. Women in London spend longer doing their hair than women elsewhere in the country, says research outfit in a completely unscientific report with absolutely no merit or anything to be learned from it. Mm. So the standard still printed it, lazy. Next What The Fuck series, I seriously think we should put together some press releases with survey results in them just to see if we can get something printed. I think we could, you know. We could. Did you know that 67% of donkeys have been mistreated? Just put a brand on it. Just put anybody's so company's logo on it. Put donkey some toothpaste in. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Here's some free toothpaste. Can we have a story in your paper, please? Um, Nui Vuitton. Um, very expensive famous brand is very famous um, not to all David Bowie fans here who kind of see him as some kind of messiah uh, he's helping them sell luxury handbags to billionaires I wouldn't take that off the kooks let alone you David um, the Borgen backlash the standard says that we don't like Scandinavians as much as we used to being that they can't talk for all of us I'm guessing that just means that the standard don't like Scandinavians as much as they used to that's how I so, read it there you go spruce up why we're dreaming of a green Christmas I fucking love to hate these stories man they're amazing <laughs> apparently green is in this Christmas when it comes to your wardrobe so just like throw out all throw out all that black and blue and red attire burn it get rid of it man you'll get laughed at um the standard it even paused the question is green acceptable christmas party attire before immediately responding <laughs> most definitely so if you've ever worn green in december before by nature that question means that it was unacceptable and you are a dick this year however it is okay 
can't believe you wore green the other year. <laughs> the Sun. No selfie respect. David Cameron, Barack Obama and the Danish Prime Minister posed for a selfie at Nelson Mandela's funeral. Applaud the headline, Sun, but at least they're not shouting racial slurs, which makes them slightly less disrespectful than you were. It was a bit fucking stupid, though. Yeah. Cameron. I'm on Team Nigella. Apparently, David Cameron is supporting Nigella Lawson in her recent press struggles, so that's the PM and The Sun both supporting cocaine and marijuana. Just to note when the next election comes around, might Photoshop some pictures of David Cameron snorting coke just for laughs. I'll write that down. Um, Christ. Oh, God, I need to do this whole fucking page here. We are all virgins. It's a page spread in the sun of people's in their 20s, 30s and 40s who are all still virgins and feel the need to be smug about it in a newspaper. And while they pose with straight faces and smiles, they have leading quotes saying things like, It's similar to having a colour you don't like. I don't think it is. I do like (laughs) boys, but I don't let it define who I am. Good for you. Go away and continue to do that. And finally, there was this one man doing this really nice smile that says, The only person who has touched my penis is me. <laughs> Whoever put this together, are you feeling okay? Because you really need help. Oh, brilliant. Uh The Metro. All I did was win a bike race, say, uh, says Bradley Wiggins after being knighted. Um, the paper described him as modest, by which I presume they meant... Honest. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah. Earth's coldest place, which was something about George Osborne having heart surgery, I think. Uh, Kanye, I could die up here, you know. Uh, the rapper compares rapping to going to war, which is pretty rich from a man who wrote lyrics about being at war with terrorism and racism. Yeah. Um, he's at war with choreographed dance <laughs> routines and large lighting rigs. Oh. Jen, I enjoy staying in with old friends. Famous Jen watches television. Bieber, stop bullying me for being pop brat. World, stop being a pop brat. And leave the hookers alone. <laughs> the Daily Mail. A half a million Merry Christmas for Slade. Apparently the highest selling Christmas pop song is still Merry Christmas Everybody by Slade. Like it was last year, the year before that, <laughs> and assumedly for decades before it was written. And for some reason the Mail decided to pay someone to... Yet again, write the words, yes, Merry Xmas Everybody by Slade is still hideously overplayed at Christmas. <laughs> it's just cut and paste news story from last year. Um, the Standard. Politicians duck first night of play about MP claim scandal. Um, the paper kind of makes out that the MPs are not going to this play because it's about the expenses scandal. It's got Diana Vickers in it. And apparently it's not very good. I think I think that's a sound reason to not go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mayhem as fog hits jets, cars and ferries. In case you spent all day with your eyes closed, uh, there was a news story telling you it was foggy the other day. Nice one. Um, families have less to spend than they did seven years ago. Uh, yes, we know, says everyone reading their free copy of the Evening Standard. Uh, yeah, this story was covered by loads of papers and I really don't recommend reading the Daily Mail at the moment because to counter this whole cost of living crisis wave of stories, their attitude is just saying, no, it isn't. Seriously, maybe we want to punch a hole through it. Really? Are they trying to take that line? They're just denying it. That's pretty patronising yeah. to uh, your audience there. Yeah, paying 60p for a paper. Yeah, you're, you're, you're reading the Daily Mail. You can't be feeling the pinch. <laughs> yeah. The Express. 
shroud of mist before the storms. Um, it was foggy the other day and it's going to be windy soon. This article doesn't just have one weather, it's got two. <laughs> two, motherfucker. <laughs> Double weather story. The Metro, inbreds in the outback. What was this? Okay, this story is seriously distressing and I do not recommend looking it up whatsoever as it gave me nightmares, but that headline, inbreds in the outback, is basically the Texas Chainsaw Massacre told in the style of Enid Blyton. Right? <laughs> Sing-songy headlines are a no-go for stories like this. Other headlines for distressing stories, sexual predator in the pantry, golden <laughs> showers in the homeless shelter, and finally, terminal illness in the treehouse. <laughs> Fucking hell, Stuart. <laughs> oh, I must mention the star had this story, incest kids had sex and mutilated their pets, because that's sort of a right... What, tact? Yeah, I've got lots of tacks on my notice board. <laughs> the sun. Always, oh, we can get back to moral high ground here. <laughs> yeah. JT shops at Poundland, famous footballer in shop. Slice hockey. Someone got their face cut open playing hockey. Again, am I the only one freaked out by newspapers punning other people's misfortune? Yeah, there was something about someone losing his head today, which was as horrific a story as you can imagine. Um, Make Christmas go farther. The Sun have done a list of boring items like foil, toilet rolls, washing up liquid. You know the stuff that you buy every week anyway? Guess what? You need it at Christmas. And the Sun put it on a page to remind you. That was helpful. The Standard. Osborne opens up clear lead over balls. If you think that needs context, shut up, you're ruining our fun. <laughs> um, from dusk to desk. How to go all night and all day. Uh, was this by Nigella Lawson? <laughs> I'd assume so, yeah. It's an article about how to cope with a hangover when you have work in the morning. Its advice appears to be wear clothes and drink water. <laughs> and they somehow managed to stretch that over around a thousand words. That's where I've been going. No help at all. That's where I've been going wrong you see whenever I come in with a hangover I never wear any clothes <laughs> ordering clothes <laughs> the times perhaps I could have stopped Hitler and war Duke wrote what, what perhaps oh well not to worry it all sorted itself out in the end you know that was so important no I'm done bar humbug pupils in tears at Vicar's Santa Tail priest told school assembly that Santa isn't real this but- was wicked <laughs> I'm sorry the quote from the mum of a nine-year-old was just amazing. We wouldn't just walk into the church during one of his services and tell everyone Jesus isn't real. <laughs> Mega lols. Quote of the year, yeah. that. <laughs> Bargain mints may be dog food, warns horse meat inquiry. Yes, we know, says anyone with a brain. <laughs> um, Nigella didn't tell truth about drug habit, says PA. No one does. Yeah, why would you? The Mail, NHS, National Health Shambles. Is it Thursday again? Time for an anti-NHS front page of the Daily Mail. <laughs> Do you think I've just got put about 40 words, shambles, health, national, into like a, a kind of bingo machine that they just click. Thursday's anti-NHS headline <laughs> is... <laughs> national Health Shambles. <laughs> national Health Shithole to run next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cook bits of Christmas dinner early, then reheat it. Headline that just says what Heston Blumenthal is saying. Um, and the rest of the country just sits back and we all go, shit, why didn't I think of that? Fucking yeah, hell. just reheat bits of the Christmas dinner. You don't have to do it all at once. Nigella and the cocaine clues. Nigella Lawson to star in her own teenage detective novel alongside Nancy Drew. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Sun. Screw Donnit. 
The owner of Zone 1 Radio, Matthew Layton, told me it's something to do with that celebrity omelette programme or something, The X Factor. Um, but I didn't need to read the story to enjoy the headline. Screwed on it. Screwed on it. Ticking Kiev. You know how there's hundreds and thousands of people protesting in a serious standoff with their government on of the European-Russian future of the Ukraine? Well, the sun done a joke on it. Yeah. Um, Father Christmas. Fundraisers. <laughs> More of them. Spotted. Elephant stuff rap. Again, didn't need to read the story, just go with that headline. The son are basically saying, yep, there you go, there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> You've raised your eyebrows, that's enough, just turn over, we've got another one for you. <laughs> Isn't it? They're not even one-liners, they're half-liners. <laughs> um, the Express. Express. Fury at Channel 4's Foul Mouth Comedy Awards. Uh, the viewing public, which is used here in shorthand for a bunch of people that write for the Express and who are desperate for a story. So the viewing public are surprised that the British Comedy Awards broadcast on Channel 4 post-Watershed with comedians had swear words in it. Amazed. I, I can't believe... Why would they do that? Why would they say fuck? Not on the British Comedy Awards. Bastards. On Channel 4. Yeah. Um, the Irish Post. Mm. Um, I thought I'd continue my branching out from the Express and the Sun experiments and buy an Irish newspaper, and it has one of the weirdest pages in it ever I've ever seen. It's called Paper Clips, which is the best news stories from local papers around Ireland, and the seriousness of the stories printed next to each other, if you plotted it on a graph, it would be a direct zigzag. So what, they were like left and right of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rapist's arm was cut off after death. Rubbish bins ruins beauty spot. Damages for family of first-time mum who died of organ failure. New home for ancient decorative cathedral cross. <laughs> Fatalities lead way to traffic island change. Think I might buy it just for this page. That's hilarious. Love the I contrast. Took a photo of that. Nude flash. Ollie Murs saw Will Ferrell naked once. I think Nude Flash would be the title of our next segment. That would be a good one, because this is the newspaper prostitute sex line advert of the week. And the winner is? The Sun. I like this one because it leads with sex sounds, eavesdrop. Because it's openly saying, yeah, we know that porn exists online where you can see it with your eyes for free, <laughs> but, you know, if you want to pay to listen to sex noises, we still exist for that. They must be still making money. It's not cheap to advertise in national press. This Christmas, Marks and Spencers are selling Christmas magic. Oh no, I've fallen down a manhole and suddenly I'm wearing silky lingerie. Welcome to my tea party, sexy model girl. I'm the sexy mad hatter. Where am I? Why am I in a magical forest? It's visual shorthand for Marks and Spencers. Sell your magical stuff this Christmas. Can you feel the sparkliness? But magic doesn't exist. I'm a grown-up. I know magic isn't real. But when you buy stuff at M&S, it's like you're becoming a child again. Look at the glittery sparkles. Oh, that is pretty. Here's some money. Here are some bizarre, trippy sequences inspired by fairy tales full of shiny things you can buy at M&S. Oh, they are shiny. Buy the pretty stuff, little consumer you. Oh, pretty shiny object. What's it do? Whatever your heart desires. Well, actually nothing, but it does look pretty, and it looks like something out of the Wizard of Oz. 
Oh, that makes me feel fuzzy and nostalgic inside. But it's very expensive, and I don't know if I actually need it. Naughty consumer. Bad consumer. Go to your room! Okay, welcome to This Week I Read, the section of the show where Rick and I take pieces of media that are never subject to critical analysis and critically analyse them. The one that we chose this week for our Christmas special is never subject to critical analysis because people always just go, well, it's a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Of course it's good. It must be. So there you go. We're doing a Christmas Carol. Uh, In researching for it, uh, I found out that Dickens' original plan was to create a political pamphlet but he believed in the end that a great piece of fiction would have more sway on public opinion than uh, that kind of pamphlet thing. So he wrote A Christmas Carol. Um, obviously, it's ostensibly about goodwill to your fellow man at Christmas time. But throughout it, there are references to the treatment of the poor, the disabled, the working classes within the kind of industrial revolution that was going on. Um, so, yeah, since it's nearly Christmas, we decided to track down the original version of A Muppet Christmas Carol, which was originally just called A Christmas Carol and was written by Mr. Charles Dickens. With his faithful friend Rizzo the Rat. Yeah. Who did exist. Uh, and we're going to see uh, attempt to see how it holds up compared to its latter-day predecessor, The Muppets Christmas Carol. (laughs) The main idea being that since everyone's kind of done their take on A Christmas Carol, face it, you've never bothered reading the original, and neither have we. Reading a classic story like A Christmas Carol is no more the cleverer thing to do than watching A Muppet Christmas Carol, which throughout this I'm going to be arguing is better than the Dickens story in every way imaginable. (laughs) I think... I don't know. I I generally think that there is some value in reading, um, going back to the original text, when you've seen so many of the versions as well. Um, the first thing I wanted to look at, the writing style is going to be a lot different between the two of them. And Charles Dickens definitely has a very distinctive style. Um, so, for example, we're going to take a few passages from On Scrooge's House. He says, They were a gloomy suite of rooms in a lowering pile of building up a yard where it had so little business to be that one could scarcely help fancying it must have run there when it was a young house. Now, Stuart, before we read this, you said you didn't like Dickens' style. You're not a fan of Dickens himself at all, really. Uh, I think this kind of jumping into the first person, uh, throughout you're conscious that there's this character, isn't there? The, 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 the Dickens narrator. character is... But he's, he's got an opinion on things. He's, he's surprised by things. He's not just telling you what's happening in front of you. It is a bit disconcerting, but ultimately, I, I kind of found it quite charming. Well, I understand that because it's written in a completely different style and without all of the development of literature that we've had up until this point. But I'm an impatient little shit and I'm always quick to highlight flaws. So I'm just <laughs> going to start out by saying the story starts by spending half a fucking page to mm. say Marley was dead. <laughs> if is. this was written today and went through an editor, all of these roundabout phrases that follow it, like Scrooge knew he was dead, of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Which is basically Dickens going... Hmm, I'm being paid per page here. How can I stretch this out? <laughs> the manner in which Marley was dead was the dead state of manner of being death of the anti-disestablishmentarianism. Like, was this the dumb thing in the 1800s? I don't care. It's 2013. I say it's padding. <laughs> there was kind of a bit where you just checked just at the top again. Am I reading the right thing here? Um, the, I, I kind of like how the Muppets play with Dickens' writing, though. So the Muppets have, because you are conscious of this figure in the text, they've actually made him a character. Um, which is quite good. And they do kind of play with his lines a bit as well. After one line from Michael Caine, uh, sorry, Scrooge, where he says, 
there's more of gravy than grave to Marley's ghosts, they reply, whoa, what an awful pun. Where do you get those? Which I thought was wicked. And if you've read the original, that's that's genuinely pleasing bit of... It's de- it's actually there. <laughs> yeah, relation between the texts. Um, anyway, on to Alfie. Sorry, sorry, Batman's butler. So, sorry, Michael Caine. Um, no, sorry, sorry, Scrooge. Yep, Scrooge. That's who we're talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah, Scrooge, that's what we're talking about. In the book, he's described as Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Um, and in the Muppets, they cast Michael Caine, um, which I thought was quite surprising, really. Not the first person you jump to. He's quite a likeable guy, isn't he? I think he's, he's generally a hero in his films. Basically, for 90%, 90% of the story, we're supposed to dislike Scrooge. Um, also, note to producers <laughs> everywhere, Michael Caine singing and dancing that's something I never wanted to see. I think they were lucky to get him. He's a legend of cinema, but he's easily the worst thing in the Muppets Christmas Carol. I, I agree there, but back to the character of Scrooge. Based on what we're given here, I don't understand why we're supposed to think he needs to redeem himself and start liking Christmas. Mm. Like His first thoughts on Christmas are, Merry Christmas, what reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Which I must say, I see Scrooge's point. You know, being wrecked with financial misery isn't reason enough to not give a fuck it's Christmas. And Scrooge, Scrooge really should be is just the tragic anti-hero of this story. Just leave him alone. <laughs> he has some killer lines. Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. I was really, really impressed by how many of these lines made it into the Muppets version. It's very faithful to the text. Yeah, I was surprised by that. But on on Scrooge's character, it could have easily been called a Christmas psychotic episode. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of kind of psychotic episodes, we soon get to Marley's ghost, whose opening line is... Oh, captive-bound and double-ironed, cried the Phantom, not to know that ages of incessant labour by immortal creatures for this earth must pass into eternity. So that's Statler and Waldorf then? Yeah, great casting. Uh, (laughs) There's still loads of scenes in the Muppets movies, and they do in this one as well, as uh, kind of Scrooge's business partners. Here's the bit that gets me. We never know what his business actually does. Mm. It's never mentioned in the text, but in the Muppet Christmas Carol, they make out that he's a moneylender, so he and his partners turfed orphans out into the cold. So now for Scrooge to see the error of his ways. So could we say that a Muppet Christmas Carol has improved on the original by offering an actual concrete reason for Scrooge needing to redeem himself? Like, one with the talking felt animals, more cohesive story here. (laughs) Like, the reason we should think Scrooge needs to redeem himself is a massive plot hole in the original that the Muppet Christmas Carol did better. Um, So first up to visit him um, is, of course, the ghost of Christmas past. For as its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part and now in another, and what was light one instant at another time was dark, so the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness. You know, proper nice wordy... Um, writing um, and it played it's played in the Muppets by a kind of very spooky looking mirage of a ghost I thought it was pretty weird that one man yeah it was really disconcerting how it spoke like a four year old as well yeah it, it, like some of the effects were pretty poor in it but this one like this floaty white feel with a porcelain child's face that was basically motionless and yeah the child's voice it looks like it belongs in one of them weird Japanese horror films you like 
Uh, yeah, then we get to Fezziwig's party. Sorry, Fozziwig's. No, no, Fezziwig's party, oh, where we right, see yeah. Scrooge's old boss um, and workplace, which was lacking in a drum solo by Animal, Fozzy Bear, and the Swedish chef and the talking grapes in this original text, which was a major letdown. Yeah, the, the talking- fact it went on for about 20 pages with absolutely fuck all happening in it added insult to injury there. <laughs> it basically just amounted to Scrooge liked money and these people liked celebrating Christmas, which we'd seriously got by this point. Also, that this story is severely lacking in comic relief without Rizzo the Rat. Yeah. Because the story's been done so much with fuzzy animals and cartoon characters that it makes the original just seem bland and unimaginative. <laughs> like, I can see why A Christmas Carol was adapted with fuzzy felt, because all these corny jokes make it impossible to find it dark or scary. He was ready for a good, broad field of strange appearances, and that nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. And between the visitation from the second and third ghost, Scrooge just wondered, why did the chicken cross the road? No, there is some pretty terrifying imagery, though. Um, like, one of the when the ghost says, um, how it is that I appear before you in a shape that you can see, I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. That is an unquestionably terrifying premise, especially for, like, a kid's book. I think it's maybe just a change in how we consume media. People like you and me, we just skip over a paragraph like that. But if you were a kid at the time and you reread it, as kids do, that'd keep you up for weeks imagining ghosts of your elders watching you invisible in the corner. Well, I don't know. I think that I felt some of it translated to the Muppets quite obviously. Like the Ghost of Christmas Present, which seemed to be the template for Hagrid for the Harry po- from the Harry Potter books. Yeah, yeah, it is. And the bits where the Cratchits, you know, Miss Piggy, Kermit and the Little Pigs and Frogs is probably the best bit, actually, in the, in the actual text. They're dancing and they're happy even though they're poor. Actually, like, this bit's an, like an actual family Christmas. I mean, people do bitch about their co-workers at any time of year. I mean, <laughs> Kermit's character felt a bit cliched, though. Then again, I guess he's been doing the same same shtick for about 50 years. So, sorry, Bob Cratchit's been done to death. No, Kermit's also been done to death. Yeah, that translates well. <coughs> They're interchangeable, aren't they? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, also, when Bob Cratchit... Kermit. Uh, yeah, Kermit. Uh, yeah, when Kermit's son dies of cholera and his wife... You mean Miss Piggy? Yeah, it's Miss Piggy. Yeah, they're mourning over the death. There's so much dialogue in the book that you don't believe it that much. A Muppet Christmas Carol played it really quiet and downbeat. I mean, you really care for that bit of felt with a hand up its arse. Here in the original, people are just these people are just words on a page saying words to me. You could say that about all box though, couldn't you? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so yeah, Scrooge is happy that he just saw a mental vision of his own mortality, appreciating that he should be happy with it and what he's got left. It's a nightmare, isn't it? You know, people are happy that you're dead. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure that being reminded that you're probably gonna die very soon wouldn't make you happy. It might make you live your last days differently, though. Yeah, but at the same time, it's not a happy image. Oh, yeah, at the end, where he makes the poor kid go and buy him a turkey to give to Bob Cratchit. So butchers are open on Christmas Day. Well, big plot hole there. Possibly, yeah. It's What do you know about Victorian Britain? Nothing, but I'm reading this from my perspective. <laughs> Um, and obviously Tiny Tim's going to die next year. Yeah, like he does go, God bless us everyone. And at the end, this is actually in the paragraph, Tiny Tim did not die. How yeah. does he know that? This is Christmas yet to come. And why does he not die? I thought he was still ill. And this was the 1800s where kids would have died all the time of random diseases they couldn't cure yet. So, yeah, so it, it would have been a bit more than a little bit patronising to people at the time. Over, Like, kids are cured from Turkey. 
Like, overall, Dickens is pretty much the Victorian equivalent of Hollyoaks. I think that's a bit unfair, man. I think it's like... It's a bit like the Christmas annuals of today. There's always a place, especially in kids' white writing, for, like, a clear moralistic line and storylines which, you know, might be considered twee for more adult readers. I think that works in kids' fiction. I know you're a big lover of fiction in general. Is that fair to say? Yes. Which, uh, to be honest, I'm not. But I do accept that it can shape the views and even morals of people who read it. And I think this has shown me genuinely, as a fiction heathen, that great fiction can, or at least used to be able to, kind of influence the public's opinion on, on real-life politics. Well, I do understand and appreciate that. I just... I was never going to like this book, to be honest. Let, let's just face it. I was never going to like anything Dickens. <laughs> I've got a massive grudge against him since I took my GCSEs. <laughs> but, yeah, it's not that I think the original is shit. It's just I think it's been built on by other media, like, in this case, the Muppets, to make more sense and be more enjoyable. I mean, my big beef with Dickens... All Dickens that I've read is it's too overly simplistic and everything's either morally black or white. He can never really be asked to come up with motivations for his plot and characters and everything that happens. And people are just the way they are just because I said so, which by today's standards is what we call lazy. E.g., the convict in Great Expectations is technically the most important character in that story. He turns out to be responsible for the entire plot getting going and his character arc happens totally off screen. Same here, when you stop endlessly going on about how influential Dickens was and actually think about it, it's incredibly easy to see the flaws in A Christmas Carol as it was originally told. <gasps> what in the world? A ghost! Scrooge! I'm the ghost of Christmas past, and I'm here to teach you the error of your ways. Error of my ways? What are you talking about? Oh, well, you're an old grouch who doesn't like Christmas, and I and a bunch of other ghosts decided to show you visions of stuff to change your mind. This is when you were a child. Oh, yes. My parents never really cared about me. Wife? Have you seen Ebenezer? Who? Our son. Where is he? Oh, my foot's on his face. Get off me, father! Oh, yes, Ebenezer. We're sending you away to a boarding school for Christmas because we can't be asked to take care of you. You see, your parents never loved you, and that's one of the reasons you hate Christmas. Okay, thanks for drudging up my unhappy childhood. But why are you showing me this? Um... Well, because it's showing why you're so biased against Christmas. Well, surely if I'd endured some trauma in my past, that isn't my fault, then I should be allowed to deal with it in my own terms. Why should I be forced to liking Christmas because you've gone, oh, you were a lonely child? Um, because... Uh, anyway, uh, next vision... And this is you with your ex-fiance, Belle. But, 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 Belle, why do you want to call off the wedding? Ebenezer, I don't think it's going to work out between us. You've just become so obsessed with, with money. You don't seem to have much of a heart for anything else like love and flowers and, and puppies. It's just all money to you. Goodbye, Ebenezer. See, she left you on Christmas because all you cared about was money. Right, so, 
I'm a bad person because I wanted to plan for our future and be financially stable so we wouldn't end up sleeping in a box. Again, sounds like I'm fully justified here. Look, just like Christmas, like everybody else, because I showed you that you're mean and only concerned with money. No, my, my friend and partner just died. I want to grieve in peace. Anything else you want to add? Oh, I'm making my employees' lives more miserable by trying to make sure we have a profitable business plan in place so the company doesn't go into liquidation. And does an employee have a child whose life I barely have any involvement with that has a life-threatening illness and you think buying him a turkey is going to mean he magically gets healed somehow? Well, boo-hoo! We all have to die someday. Oh, let me guess. Are people going to be happy when I die? I should go, oh, how horrible that everyone's glad I'm dead. But if I'm dead, why would I care what people think? Look, people hate you because you don't like Christmas. So, if they like Christmas, let them. I don't. Let me. Isn't that fair? But re redemption and... Passion and stuff? Look, can you just stop and let me grieve and spend my Christmas alone and in peace? Hey, hey guys, uh, he says he just wants us to leave him to it. Oh, what a gloomy old bastard. Sag it, he's ruining our fun. I'm not hurting anyone! I just want to be left alone! Is that a crime? Oh, okay. No, you're right. Bye. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Fuck off and leave me alone! But it's, but it's Christmas. Christmas! Well, actually, sleep deprivation can lead to health conditions like heart disease, high blood pressure, and potential strokes, which I'm already adding on to stress and grief about losing my friend, business partner, and attempting to run my business on my own. So forcing me to endure your Christmas cheer might actually kill me! Oh, oh sorry, sorry, mate. Thank you! Merry Boxing Day, you twats! And that brings us to the end of this series of What the Fuck is Xmas? If you've enjoyed it, all the previous episodes of our first series of What the Fuck Just Happened are available through facebook.com slash WTF satire. Plug. And we've just got about just enough time to round up good Christmases and bad Christmases. It's been a bad Christmas for weather reporters who've had to turn off their auto-publish settings on the pre-written white Christmas news stories and instead reprint their It's Windy Out Gale stories from autumn. Mm. Still, the stories should work fine around the end of January. Yeah, they'll just have to take out all the Christmas references. Um, it's been a good Christmas to be a singleton, believe it or not. Um, whilst it might be known as the worst time of the year to be depressed, the Metro today managed to come up with six reasons why it's better being single than in a relationship at Christmas. Um, so stop, singletons, before you tie that tinsel around your neck and jump off the top of the Christmas tree. Consider the fact that, A, you can kiss whoever you want under the mistletoe, though it will have to be a family <laughs> member. B, it's cheaper. Um, but you will get less presents for yourself. <laughs> and C, you don't have to decide where to go on Christmas Day. 
because back at your mum's is your only option. Happy Christmas! Yeah! It's been a bad Christmas for anyone planning to treat their loved ones at Milton Keynes Winter Wonderland, which was closed after just one day following a sleigh full of complaints. Great, uh, great, 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 <laughs> great story. story there. Gripes included that the Santas were thin blokes, which doesn't bode well for our human puppet John Davis, who is also starring as a thin Santa in shopping centres near you this Christmas. Hi, John. <laughs> Reindeers without antlers, which I think are just donkeys, right? That's great, yeah. And a bustling Christmas market, which turned out to be a sausage van and someone doing pork rolls. <laughs> <laughs> nice, a British Milton Keynes Christmas there. The organisers described the issues as teething problems and have given out 200 reef funds, which probably means it's been a pretty bad Christmas for them too. Yeah, we'll hope to see that come back next year. Um, it's been a good Christmas for anyone who shops anywhere because all the shops have put something Christmas related on their carrier bags for you. That's nice. And they put something Christmas related on the heads of their staff, which just makes it all feel great, doesn't it? I even got the message today, full of festive cheer. On a lemonade I bought from McDonald's. That's so Christmassy, isn't it? Yeah, it made me feel as happy as Scrooge at the end of a Christmas carol. Uh, so there you go. Enjoy your Christmas, because the shops say so. So that's pretty much it. Go forth. There's still a few days left for you to max out your credit cards, argue with your family, and gorge on rich food and alcohol. We'll see you in the new year when we're all full of regret. Yeah, and finally, our human puppets, John Davis and Dave Chawner, have this vaguely Christmas-related gag for you. This week's What the Fuck is Xmas, sponsored by Twix. Merry Twixmas, giving Christmas two fingers. This is O1 Radio. This is O1 Radio.